Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts, along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. I'm joined today by Global Head of Research, Liam Bailey, Managing Partner of Knight Frank Finance, Simon Gammon, and Head of Planning, Stuart Bailey. In our first episode, we're going to look at the impact of coronavirus on the UK housing market. We'll also look at what action the government could take to aid its recovery. Let's start with some context. Liam, in your many years experience of making forecasts about the property market, how would you say 2020 compares to all the other years? Um, I think it's a big question. I think a bit of context is needed. I think you know forecasting is always a challenge. I mean, not just this year. Um, and it doesn't matter how much you know work or, or preparation you put in. You're always effectively um, predicting the the unpredictable. I mean, very simply, the future is is unknowable, uh, and events will always in, intervene. And COVID nineteen is, is is a very big event. I mean, having said that, long term forecasting is is easier. You know, we know over the long run that house prices, for example, have a, a close relationship with incomes and uh, the availability and cost of debt, you know, so we can know that we can say that prices have risen, let's say, I don't know, five percent per annum over the past four decades. Now we might expect the next few years to be lower because we don't have the prospect of a, a, a new boost from even lower interest rates, but we might assume that say three or even four percent per annum is a is a realistic prospect. The problem, though, and this comes back into your question, is short-term forecasting is a completely different animal. You know, a tax change, a uh, changing housing policy or social policy can have a big impact. Um, and you might then say, well, you know, why bother <laughs> trying to um, estimate uh, the direction of house prices? And you know, ultimately, here at Night Frank, you know, we're driven by client requirements, especially B2B clients like developers or investors. And you know, irrespective of how hard the exercise is, there are certain people in the economy who need to take a view on the outlook for the market. And the access to data that we've got here at Night Frank means that we're in a, a unique um, position to provide our guidance. So to come back uh, in, a, in a, a long-winded way back to your question, yes, 2020 is an unbelievably difficult year for anyone trying to say what next. Uh, but there are things you can do to try and make that prospect more bearable. So you know, when everything is up in the air, you've got to try and close down as many areas of uncertainty as possible. So we end up making assumptions. So our latest forecast, for example, that we published at the beginning of April, you know, was based on the idea that the lockdown would be lifted in its entirety by the end of May. We also took a view on GDP forecasts at the time, uh, which were pointing to a kind of four or five percent contraction this year. Now, if all these things changes, or these things change, then our forecast will either be too bullish or, or, or too negative. But just to end with, you know, one thing we are doing is, is tracking everything we can to monitor how the market behaves over the next few weeks and months. And here's an interesting point. The market hasn't stopped. I mean, it's slowed a lot, uh, but buyers are still registering, viewings are still taking place via videos and so on, and offers are still being made, and therefore exchanges are happening. Yes, at much lower levels, but there's still activity in the market. So Simon, uh, the government has asked buyers and sellers to delay deals. What, what are lenders actually able to offer at the moment while we're in lockdown? 
There are three things that lenders are doing right now that um, I think everyone should be aware of. Um, the first is for those that are in the buying process and have found themselves stuck between perhaps exchange and completion or have agreed to buy a house and are having to consider a uh, extended completion date, um, but have a mortgage offer already. Nearly all lenders that we have seen have been very generous in extending mortgage offers by typically three to six months. Um, but you've got to formally apply for that. You can't assume it will be the case. So very important to make contact with your lender if you think you're going to need uh, your mortgage offer for longer than it's currently um, uh, open for. The second thing we're seeing is, again, positive action from the lenders in providing people with mortgage holidays. Uh, and we've got, again, a lot of evidence that those are being granted to as many people who uh, apply for them. And I'm pleased to say we're also seeing the third thing, um, some entrepreneurial spirit from the lenders around navigating the problem about surveyors not being able to visit properties. We're seeing lenders uh, accept desktop valuations, automated valuations and drive-by valuations rather than traditionally relying upon an internal inspection of a property. They're, they're finding new ways to allow the mortgage application process and house buying process to continue. There's just two very important things I want to make uh, clear to everyone. Uh, firstly, if you are looking to get a new mortgage, whether it's a remortgage or you're buying somewhere, it's incredibly important to get your application in as soon as possible. A number of the lenders are experiencing delays and there are backlogs. And if you are affected by the valuations not being able to physically happen, again, very important to get your application in as soon as possible. The second thing is if you are considering asking for a mortgage payment holiday, Again, very important to engage with your lender and get their full consent rather than just not pay your mortgage. And that will create credit issues for you in the future. I think overall, though, it's important to say that, say that lending and mortgages are, are still going ahead. The lenders are keen to lend. And if you need any advice at all, uh, the team at Knight Frank Finance are here for you. About just looking at the numbers, uh, Simon, I mean, you've, you've mentioned before that lenders are likely to issue almost 350,000 fewer mortgages for houses this year. I mean, presumably that must be unprecedented. I mean, has there ever been a, a time in your memory where something even close to that kind of scale has happened? Our hope is that that number doesn't materialise. And I think what we're trying to highlight is that if things continue in lockdown and we don't find new solutions for allowing people to buy and sell homes, then then we are looking at a very large number and certainly unprecedented in my career. But I think we can avoid it. And certainly what I'm seeing from the lending community is a real appetite to find new solutions to keep the housing market going. And do you think, I mean, I suppose just overall, do you think that there are sort of any, any moves that government can make just on, on, on that particular side, just in terms of the lending activity that would be helpful? The main blockage for us is the surveying side. And I think the government should prioritise surveyors as one of the industries that should be allowed back to work as soon as possible. I think that would help greatly and create a release on this bottleneck that we're starting to, to experience. So Liam, if we assume then that the lockdown is likely to remain in place at least until the end of May, how much of an impact do you think that will have on UK residential sales and house prices? I think to answer the question, I think it's important to think about what was happening before COVID-19 came into, um, in, into prominence. I mean, 
you know, back in January and February, the market was, I mean, really quite strong. And in terms of you know deal volumes, certainly there are lots of transactions taking place, but even prices as well. I mean, the London market hasn't seen, the central London market hasn't seen price growth really for five years. And suddenly Q1 this year, we saw you know, 0.2% growth in central London prices. It's not massive growth, but it's uh, growth of um, of some sort. And even actually the, the UK housing market was seeing the strongest level of um, price growth. It was uh, 3% uh, annualised growth uh, back in February. And that's the strongest level of growth we've seen for about four or five years in the in the UK market. So the, the context before COVID struck was that the market was in a, a relatively good place uh, and actually the market was progressing very nicely. Obviously, everything really went into sharp reversal from about the third week of March. And for me, I think you know, the big story is transactions. And you're beginning to see reporting on sales numbers uh, coming through for March. And they're suggesting that March held up pretty well despite the, um, the lockdown beginning. But I think by the end of this month, by the end of April, we're going to we're going to see numbers for, um, for for April and then into May, and you're going to see a huge decline in transactions. Uh, that's going to be the, the, the big story for the next two or three months. Now, if we bear in mind that January to March was pretty strong, our view is that overall sales across the UK will be down 38% over the year as a whole from the level they, they were in 2019, and we expect you'll see slightly smaller falls in Greater London and, and, and in the prime central London market, but similar kind of quantum. So there is going to be a huge dip in transaction volumes this year. We're thinking that there will be an uptick next year. Some of that activity will move into 2021, but they won't all take place uh, next year. And probably the outcome of the lockdown and obviously the, the COVID-19 impact will be around a sort of half a million lost sales um, that just won't occur over the next uh, 24 months that would otherwise have taken place. So obviously there is a big impact there. In terms of pricing, again, as I was saying, you know, we, we were in a relatively strong position at the beginning of this year. Prices were ticking up in the UK and, and, and in London. I think we just have to expect that the much weaker economic activity in the first half of this year, the, the dislocation in jobs markets and also much weaker uh, consumer sentiment is going to have an impact on prices. Our view is that the the relatively finite time span of the crisis means that the declines will be relatively limited. So our view is, you know, we were expecting positive price growth this year in the UK. Uh, we think that actually this year, because of the COVID situation and lockdown, prices will fall by around, say, about around 3% in, in total this year. And prices in prime central London have the potential to remain unchanged. And the reason for prime London outperforming the, the, the wider UK market is because the central London market's had a, a significant repricing over the past five years. Prices have fallen 25% in some central London markets since 2014. But some people will think, well, okay, is that it? The biggest economic shock we've ever seen, and it means or it ends up meaning a 3% fall in, in house prices. But I think it rather depends on your time frame, because if you want to sell now or in a short period of time, there's no doubt about it, you'll need to take a discount. And buyers are looking for deals right now. You know, Buyers are looking for 5%, 10% discounts on, on current asking prices. The question, I think, is whether vendors will accept those bids. And just look at the most recent data that we've got, looking at uh, transactions that have happened or exchanges that have happened since the lockdown begun. 
we can see a bit of evidence here that actually back in early March, the sort of sales to asking price ratio in uh, central London was around 97%. So people were generally paying 3% below uh, asking price. Now, since the lockdown began, exchanges uh, are happening at around 7% below uh, asking price. So there seems to be a movement in price of about 4% at the current time. It isn't as significant as you might have expected, but I think it reflects the fact that actually vendors are not yet in a position where they're willing to accept significant discounts. And the next time that we speak, hopefully I'll have more data on that, uh, that real-time story on lockdown uh, sales evidence. What about you, Simon? Would you agree agree with Liam on that? And do you think that, um, I mean, how how do you think that people's buying habits might change just as a result of the sort of longer term consequences of this pandemic? I totally agree with Liam. Um, I would also say, though, that um, I think one of the the impacts of uh, this experience, however long it lasts, is that people will be perhaps more conservative with their finances. Um, I think one of the things that this situation has highlighted is just how many people live hand to mouth and, and indeed how many businesses do as well, and how quickly individuals and businesses have got into trouble as a result of the sharp decline that we've all witnessed. So I think moving forward, we can expect to see people being more risk averse. I think we already saw in the pre-virus buildup, more people looking at fixed rates, looking at longer term fixed rates and certainly we as a business were providing people with advice and most people uh, were taking fixed rates and about 40 to 45 percent of them were looking at longer term fixed rates at five years plus so i think we may well see more of that So we'll now look at what the government can do to support the housing market in more detail. Stuart, you've been in touch with the government on potential steps it could take. What would you say has worked well so far? I think the government has um, rightly been quick to recognise that planning is as the front front end of the sort of development process and they need to keep the planning system moving. Um, so they have been very quick to respond on that. Uh, we've been talking to both central government and our local authority contacts as well to to understand what they're doing to to help move that forward. The big thing has actually been some guidance and some some emergency measures to allow um, planning committees to function virtually. So the sort of public meetings that we're all used to to seeing are now not happening. But there is now that the harnessing of technology and the ability for people to dial in and listen to these meetings online. They're also being recorded and broadcast on YouTube and other channels as well. And that is allowing the process to continue. We're also seeing most most authorities that, that we're dealing with are having online meetings now. So if that's pre-app discussions to advance planning applications, that's happening productively. There are still some exceptions to that. Some authorities, particularly some of the more rural authorities, where the resourcing is perhaps not quite as up to scratch or the, or the IT facilities um, are, are somewhat of a hindrance to that. We're also seeing some planning staff diverted into other responsibilities. But I think the, the general picture on this is that they're doing everything that they can to, to embrace the technology and allow things to move forward. And that's been a really key position piece to, to help the planning system continue. What about if we look at London just in, in, in particular? I mean, we've, we've got different forecasts, obviously, for the UK, but um, our forecast for prime London is, is slightly more supportive. Are you able just to sort of explain, I guess, why 
why prime central London is likely to be more supported? I think the prime central London market is is likely to outperform the UK market or the you know the wider mainstream market for a couple of reasons. I mean, primarily because this is a market which has repriced you know significantly over the past four or five years. Uh, and okay, that repricing was due to taxation changes, you know, sort of back in two thousand fourteen and, and two thousand sixteen. But the Brexit issue also weighed much more heavily on the central London market than it did really anywhere else in the UK. Ironically, the London economy, you know, sort of outperformed um, significantly over that period. And even, you know, uh, after the referendum, the, the London economy was outperforming. So the fundamentals for London are much stronger, despite the uh, the impact of the current downturn. And looking at, you know, the latest studies by you know, KPMG and others, you know, most economists expecting that the London economy will be more resilient. It will be impacted by COVID-19, of course, but it will be more resilient than other parts of the UK. So I think it's quite reasonable to expect the London market to outperform and, and, and central London in particular. I think everything really, when it comes to pricing, comes down to consumer behaviour. And it's that question about, is there distress in the market that would encourage vendors to actually accept lower offers? Or actually, are vendors in a position where they just think, actually, I won't I'm not prepared to, to accept low offers and, I'll, and I'll, I'll hang on for longer and wait for a, a recovery in the economy and a recovery in the market. I think it's probably that latter scenario, which is the one which uh, will, will come through. Back to your experience as forecasting during, during this time, and would you say this is, has been more challenging than forecasting during 2016? I mean, clearly, Brexit was unprecedented. I think it's pretty obvious that the COVID-19 pandemic and then the, the the official response to it is going to have an absolutely extraordinary impact on the economy and you know all all markets including the housing market i think for me the big story is is around transactions and, and the lack of liquidity i think there's going to be a a, a, a you know, there is obviously a big drop in transaction volumes that has uh, all sorts of implications for for the economy and 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 obviously for um for, for people's lives and you know it's in the longer term it has potentially negative consequences around labor market mobility the allocation of housing and um, and so forth thanks very much liam and thanks to stuart and simon for your insightful contributions if you enjoyed this episode of intelligence talks please subscribe on apple podcasts spotify acast or wherever you get your podcasts Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information. 